we've worked together for 20 odd years. We've all done stuff together. That means when we get back to location, when we start a new program, where wherever we're standing and we're doing the bit at the beginning where we say, this is what we're, well, Jeremy says, this is what we're doing today or whatever. <laughs> and James and I are yawning and stretching. <laughs> it's so incredibly familiar to us. My industry is founded on luck. You can convince yourself otherwise, and that's fine. Sometimes you need to say, yeah, I'm good at this. I must be good at this. If you're going to say something on telly that's going to be seen by 365 million people across the world, you've got to think, well, it might be all right. But actually, it's luck. I borrowed a phone, called my wife. Mindy, you may see this on social media soon. I've had another little shunt. The Chubb Interviews with Jodie Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance. Expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Chubb Interviews, which today comes live from the Concourse of Elegance here at Hampton Court. I'm Jodie Kidd. It's day two of the concourse and we are having a fabulous time. After months of semi-isolation, it has been brilliant to catch up with some old friends again and of course see some of the most amazing cars. Even better, it is so nice to be able to actually record the Chubb interviews in front of a live audience rather than from our virtual studio. Anyone who isn't already a subscriber of these podcasts, over the last two years, I've been lucky enough to talk to some fascinating people from the car world, and today really is no exception. So, my guest today is one of the most recognisable personalities in the car world. He's been a co-presenter of the most watched motor show on the planet, Top Gear, and of course, the Grand Tour. He's just launched his latest venture, The Smallest Cog, which is a car restoration business which will focus on rare and collectible cars and bikes from vintage classics to modern hypercars. The project will feature in a new TV series, which I'm sure you'll tell us all about in a little bit. But I'm delighted to say we are joined by the brilliant Richard Hammond. Ooh, thank you for brilliant. I like that. No, that's that's, that's very in. good. Thank I, you. I ad-libbed that one. That's very kind. That's a kind ad-lib. Thank <laughs> you. I first of all always ask my guests, where did their passion for cars come from? You've been part of all of our motoring lives for, I mean, for such a long time, not saying how it's old It's because I'm old. <laughs> But where did it all start for you? Is there a particular person? It was inevitable from the very beginning. My grandfather was a coach builder at Mulliners in Birmingham. So I totally grew up. That's what we did. We're Brummies that built cars. Uh, and then he latterly worked at Jensen inspecting the cars off the line. So it was kind of inevitable I'd drift towards it. Then after I'd been politely asked to leave Sixth Form College. Oh, I was the same. Yeah, there was a suggestion I might do better somewhere else. They didn't mind where as long as it was somewhere else. So I then went to art college and I was brilliant at that because I went straight into radio, (laughs) the most visual of medium, um, and gradually drifted towards, I always wanted to do cars and very, very briefly after eight years of starving to death in radio, I realised this is really hard. I was a a little northern boy by then, so I got a job working at Renault UK in the press office so that I got to know all the editors of all the car shows. And it worked. It took 30 years, but it worked. (laughs) Amazing. Okay, and then I suppose um, you burst onto our screens. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. I I think shuffled shuffled onto your screens, but okay. (laughs) Shuffled. Okay, but I bet there was a lot of hard work involved in getting there. Um, There must have been also a little bit of fate, I suppose. Were you at the right place at the right time? 
my industry is founded on luck. You can convince yourself otherwise, and that's fine. Sometimes you need to. Sometimes you need to say, yeah, I'm good at this. I must be good at this. If you're going to say something on telly that's going to be seen by 365 million people across the world, you've got to think, well, it might be all right. But actually, it's luck. It is right place, right time. And I've been hideously and fantastically lucky, and I'm very, very grateful for it. Oh, my goodness. I'm I mean, sure not always lucky. There not, were unlucky no, moments exactly. as well. Think, well, we'll go into that later on. Um, so I'm sure that we've all got our favourite moments from your time in TV, um, particularly with your two amigos. But can you give us some of your most outstanding memories? From the Top Gear days, there's a stock answer. When we started, we had no idea that it was going to grow. And by the way, there was no science to that we never thought oh if we make a car show in this way it'll resonate around the world we just thought what's the best car show we can make together and how would we do that and it was when we were doing a piece on buying budget supercars you'll laugh we had a, a maserati a bora yeah. yeah that's a budget car these days <laughs> but it was back then uh, and a little uh, a ferrari uh, 308 gt4 again no, it was worth car. 10p back then that was Amazing. mine and James had a little Lamborghini. And we, we turned up in a petrol station and people reacted to us differently. And we thought, oh, hang on. Mm. It's broadened. It, it wasn't just car fans. It had a broader appeal. And that's because I think the show always focused on people and cars. And yeah. that's what brings them to life. And all the absolutely beautiful metal here today yeah, is, sure is, is brought to life though by the people walking around and engaging with it. And that's what I love about it. You know, my grandfather yeah. engaged with the cars in a very physical, visceral way because he made them. Yeah. Uh, but they form part of our lives. So it's when cars and people combine, that's where the, where the life comes in. And we reflected that in the show. Yeah. But a key, absolutely key moment was when we did a special in Botswana. That was actually the yes. first special we did. It's my little boy's favourite one. It was. He's it, there. Front do you row. remember the Botswana one? Yeah. Yeah, it's about 10 years before you were born. That's <laughs> just true. It's you must have watched that, it 10,000 times. When, when young people your age come up to me, it's really funny because they start talking and you can see all the time they're talking, they're looking at me eye to eye, obviously. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and, and they're looking and you can see them thinking, wow. That camera is really kind to people, isn't it? <laughs> yes. No, that was 20 years ago. I'm <laughs> aged. So we went to Botswana and it was not expected to be a special. It was just a long trip. It, it turned from being one film in a show into the whole show. And people loved it. And we had such an extraordinary time. It's when I drove that little yellow 62 Opal Cadet that I called Oliver that I still have. Um, across. Tried, Oliver didn't drown then. No. 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 Well, you can't kill him. I threw him in a river in the Okavango oh, yes, Delta and he was all right. <laughs> he still survived. No, that, that car won't be destroyed, okay. no matter how hard you try. So probably that was a highlight. Amazing. I suppose we all look at it and we just go, wow, that just looks like the best job in the world. But it's really, really hard work. Yeah, yeah it's a really difficult job. I, it's really, honestly, I don't know what you do, but I, this is much more difficult. It's... <laughs> No, because it's like you know, other people's supercars. I have to drive them. That's really, you know, challenging. No, but I mean like the hours, especially when you're doing your I specials. can't claim that. I can get zero pity <laughs> from anybody. I can crawl out of a tent pitched at 45 degrees in a Bolivian ditch. It's full of cockroaches and I've had two hours sleep and we're starting again the next day and there's a poisonous spider in my car. All of those things have happened, yeah. but there is still no pity available and neither should there be. It's much better than working for a living. I did try that briefly. Did you? Well, I'm trying it at the moment and it's nearly killed me in two it, months. I'm not kidding. I know. It's murderous. Well, I want to hear about it a bit later, but we'll just have a few more questions about, um, obviously, uh, you know, working with Clarkson and May. It's, you guys have just got this most incredible chemistry. Was it, um, was it like an instant thing or was that relationship built over years? 
I went for my audition in 99, 2000, I think, um, which actually, although I'd worked in and around the industry, because I'd been doing small car shows. I don't know if anybody remembers Granada Men and Motors. Yeah. Okay. So that's just me. Few, it was very, it was a, a classy platform for intellectual debate and, and, and features <laughs> on cars. Right. Um, so I'd been doing that for some years, but I'd never really come across Jeremy. I'd also grown up watching him on TV because he's very, very, very old. Yes. And immediately hit it off with him in the audition. And I knew James because I used to host him when I was in PR and always made a beeline for him. So we all bonded pretty other. quickly. And then we've worked together for 20 odd years. We've all shared tents in deserts on glaciers in jungles we've been on stage in front of 60,000 people we've done stuff together yeah. that means when we get back to location when we start a new program on moment one where wherever we're standing and we're doing the bit at the beginning where we say this is what we well Jeremy says this is what we're doing today or whatever <laughs> and James and I are yawning and stretching <laughs> it's so incredibly familiar to us and to every member of the crew because most of the crew have been with us for that time yeah, and they've gone some of them from being a 22 year old kid to being a 42 Grandpa's. year old with their own <laughs> <laughs> All right, steady on, girl. <laughs> to being early middle-aged. Yeah. Um, and they've grown up with it. And so it is the most astonishingly familiar feeling that if we were standing here, Jeremy would know how I would react if he said something. Yeah. And I know how James would react if I react. When we sort of know, yeah. and it makes it incredibly easy and saves a lot of time, which everybody is grateful for. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I suppose, is there off-camera moments? Is there any that you can tell us about we might not have... Scene. We're asked that a lot, but the problem is that's the show. Everything's on. Exactly. Those are the best bits. So we make a plan. If we're going to go, and it was the same when we were at the BBC when we made those specials. So they cost, you know, a yeah. substantial sum. You could buy like a door mirror off some of the cars out there for what they cost. Yes. It's a, nearly, <laughs> nearly. Um, no, they're expensive to make. So we couldn't go out and say, oh, we'll just go to Botswana and hope something funny and interesting happens. We'd make a plan. But then actually it's all the other stuff that happens that makes the show work. That's what makes up the bulk of it. Yeah. And I suppose it always hasn't been roses, has it? You've had a few um, not so good times with a little crash here, there uh, and everywhere. Uh, my parking you, problems. You, yes. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not good. <laughs> do you think you've become slightly more sensible? I was never a craven risk taker. It was always a calculated risk. I didn't expect a front tyre to blow at 320 miles an hour, but oh it did. God. What can you do? I'll admit the more recent one in the RIMAC yes. was kind of more my faulty. Yes. I may have carried a little too much speed over the finishing line and binned it backwards off a hill. I and um, I was in the air for a long time. I, that was quite spectacular. No. I well, mean, honestly. I was waiting for like service to come around with snacks. <laughs> in the, I thought, and then I thought, when are we landing? And it was a long one. I thought I'm about to adjust my watch. I mean, did it just go, was it like that slowest moment in time where it just, everything just... There was a lot of, oh no, not again. <laughs> um at the worst bit about that, very, very quickly, because um, I don't know how long we're supposed to be. I don't want to fill up your it's podcast. Talk away, talk but there was, uh, before we did that, so we'd been at this Swiss hill climb, and we'd done all the runs we were going to do it. Because when you're doing it for telly, I'm sure a lot of people here have probably done hill climbs. Yeah. And usually you get your one go, and that's it. But we were having to do loads and loads and loads to film it. And we'd wrapped, which is TV talk for finished. <laughs> Yeah, that's a wrap. And it was a wrap. Phil, who I think you know, Phil Churchwood. Yes, I do. Yeah, lovely. I mean, love one of the nicest men, love absolutely him. charming guy, yeah. director, had said, right, that's it, you're finished. And then it came over the radios as James and I were driving back. Yeah. Um, oh, Rich, Rich, I've got permission for one more run. Oh, Can no, you just do one more run? Well. And I went over the radio and said, oh, Phil, don't, you're going to kill me now. It's all going to go wrong. Oh. That's when it all goes wrong. And I laid into him, joking, saying, okay, I'm going to do the run, but now I'm going to die and it's your fault. <laughs> 
And a minute and 30 seconds later, there's a plume of black smoke and an air ambulance landing. And he was more, he was worse off than me. He'd be mortified. Oh, he was, he was destroyed. The poor fellow. I felt so bad. I can't believe it's, it's kind of funny. You'll it's admit it's always, but that, it last, was, <laughs> yeah, it's always it was, that last little push, isn't it? And you just got a funny feeling. But there was a highlight moment of that. So I was, I was shipped off in the, well, I lay on the ground. Well, no, I was upside down dangling about a bit because yeah. I was wearing a seatbelt, not a harness. Yes. That's a mistake. And I couldn't get out. And I sort of writhed and wriggled for a bit and thought, oh, somebody will come and get me. And then I, I thought, I heard fire and, and burning and thought, oh, I really, I should get out. So yes. I, I definitely shall. So I did. And I pulled myself across the grass. Some blokes came towards me, medics. And I said, look, pull me by my arms because my legs are broken. Um, and they were strapping me down to the stretchery thing. And I was running brain checks because having been brain injured on the previous one, I thought yeah. I'd better check the old computer's firing as much as it does. I mean, it was a oh limited check, thankfully, because I can't count very far anyway. So <laughs> I, I just, I sort of ran through the alphabet and checked. I knew what day of the week it was and thought, well, everything's working fine. You weren't concussed. No, I borrowed a phone, called my wife. Mindy, you may see this on social media soon. <laughs> I've had another little shunt. There's a blazing, a blazing Rimac supercar burning white hot for three weeks behind me. And I said, I've nothing that won't fix. I've busted a leg and things. And they shipped me off to hospital. I was conscious this time in the air ambulance. They're ever so nice. I'm usually, out, I'm usually having a sleep. They sort of bolted on my leg together and I was lying in the bed. And James, bless him, arrived with a bottle of gin and a couple of the chats. Yes, brilliant. It. Had a lovely evening. <laughs> it was great. What did you end up? Breaking both legs? No, no, no. I smashed this, this knee is all held together with metal and stuff. I call it my Swiss army knee because the Swiss insisted on mending it. Yeah. And if you're going to have anything complicated repaired, <laughs> guess who you use? Yeah. The, the surgeons here were very complimentary. It's a very nice job. Yes. Yeah, very, very good. <laughs> Swiss. Do you very nice. when you go through? Well, I want to get a little Swiss army tattoo on it. So it's oh, my nice. Swiss army knee. Um, sadly, I'm always disappointed. I thought it might beep when I walked through airport things, which I yeah. used to do a lot. And I thought, oh, no, it's a bit of bit of shrapnel in there. Don't worry. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't, sadly, because it's made of expensive metals. It's worth more than me. Good old Swiss. It's disappointing. So we're really here to talk today about the smallest cog. Yes. So you've set up your own restoration business. Yeah. Tell us all a bit about it. Well, it came about because, as I said, my grandfather always in the industry and I've worked in and around the business, but I've spent 25 years criticizing other people's work all over the world. And I've always had a burning urge to do something more physical and, and actually put, put, my, put myself out there a bit more, do something visceral and real in, in, the, in the industry. And I've always loved classic cars. And the guys who've restored my classic cars, Neil and Anthony Greenhouse, I think young Anthony's over there somewhere. There he is, his dad, Neil, and him have repaired and restored an E-Type for me, an XK150, which you've got to bloody finish one day, is here, <laughs> I can say this, a Bentley, lots of cars. Um, amazing work. And we just got chatting. And their workshop that they had might have been going anyway. So I just said, well, why don't we set up in business together? I'll fund us into a new workshop. And because I'm glamorous and famous. Yes. Sitting next Loads to you, sitting next to you, a little stumpy brummy, because I'm <laughs> glamorous and famous, <laughs> and because I, I can bring in some customers and we'll get some good work. Yeah, and and obviously. it started as a sincere business, and then I thought, wait a minute, that might make a nice telly show. So the TV show oh. followed afterwards, and we've now been joined as well, thankfully, because we've persuaded him to join us. Neil, Anthony's father, will not trust anybody to do anything at all in terms of bodywork, fabrication and paint. Nobody apart from one person, his brother, Andrew, who right. thankfully we've persuaded to join us. Amazing. So it's so kind of a fam family. family operation and little old me. Um, oh, I love it. And we've just moved into our new workshop. When I say we've moved in, we did, but 
seven weeks ago we started restoring an old Escort RS2000, um, which I bought, saying, chaps, there you go, we can turn that around, that'll be amazing. Then they, <laughs> this then, is the first one yeah. for the business. Yeah, then they got into it and realised, Rich, what have you done? <laughs> it was all there, it was all straight, but as those Escorts will go. So in seven weeks they've turned it around from a rusting hulk to get it here. So we do have it, it's over there, Midnight Blue, it's rather a handsome truck. We've had a lot of 21-hour days to get it. Like last night, we were supposed to be arriving here last night, but we were still working on it. You're so, joking. Yeah, so it came in this morning. But yeah, we're very proud and really, it's just wonderful to be properly involved. I'm looking at cars differently now, walking around yeah. here today, not just looking at what they are, it is how they are and how they're finished and how much they've been loved. And I'm, it, it's, it's transformed what was already my biggest passion into a whole new level. So yeah. I'm very excited. And do you have kind of big ambitions for it? Um, I never want to be a massive scale with it. Um, its job is to pay everybody's salaries, provide Christmas bonuses, tiny, tiny, tiny Christmas bonuses, <laughs> um, <laughs> and give the guys the opportunity to work on the cars that their, their talents are worthy of. That's the key thing, because anybody in the industry will know. It's easy to service an endless stream of, you know, they need to be done. Somebody backs their courser into a bollard outside Morrison's, somebody's got to straighten it, yep. and it's great. But I want them to have incredible, beautiful cars to work on because God knows they can do it. Yeah. Um, certainly in terms of fabrication uh, and, and body and paint. Yeah. So we're going to be always. I'm going to. I've just thought the word <clears throat> boutique. Oh yeah. Boutique. We are going to be boutique. <laughs> I love um, it. And, and I'm very keen that it stays that way. It's, yeah. it's just us. We're never going to grow big and greedy. We're going to be small boutique and just focus on turning out beautiful work, preserving masterpieces that need to be preserved. And there's no doubt, you know, electrification is coming in whatever form. Sure is. Um, but I think everything gathered here, this passion that we're seeing today is not going to go away in a hurry. No. It's glamorous and beautiful and expressive and connective and artistic and human and wonderful. And it'll always be there. So what there will be a sort of cull of the herd. All of the garbage will go and we'll be left with the beautiful special things. And there needs to be skills to do that. Yeah. And one thing we're really going to work on is apprenticeships. It's because so absolutely, there no, nothing here will be here in 10, 15 years if we, if we don't move those skills on. So that's something we're really going to focus on. I think it's very important. Oh, I think it's fantastic. And talking about all the cars here, I don't know if you've had a, a walk round, but if there was one that you could take away, what would it be? I'll be honest, I haven't wandered around yet, mostly because we turned up with our car been working on, on a trailer escort. behind my Land Rover <laughs> and dropped it off. And then if anybody's seen a Land Rover driving around the show with a trailer on being they told me to reverse it to turn it round up there oh no. so I just threaded it along in front of the palace and one of the blokes said can you uh, just reverse it turn it around and go back down yeah of course I can no <laughs> problem my friend oh my god you had to go reverse yes backing it between a billion pounds worth of cars and, and parts of the palace so that's all I've been doing until coming straight here so I will be wandering around basically I want kind of all of it really yeah because I sold a load of cars and bikes oh, to buy good. the stuff I've bought for the workshop. Don't worry, Anthony, I'm, I'm not bearing a grudge. <laughs> but a beautiful Lotus Esprit 350 Sport, 1969 911T, <gasps> all sold. Oh. I've got a spray oven instead. What? Uh, literally. Why? What? Why? Because to set up the workshop, it's not cheap. And I couldn't really go home to my wife and say, Mindy, you know Mindy. <laughs> yes, would you go to Mindy and say, Mindy, can I take a load of money out of our savings and spend no, it on? No, knows. exactly. So like, get that's, out. That's, yeah. <laughs> get back so to work. Get out and sell your toys. <laughs> yes. So I sold my toys to do it. 
Oh, well, it just sounds amazing. And uh, we can't wait to see the show. Is it literally just going to be like a fly on the wall? It's a show about setting up the workshop. So there is a lot of processes, restoration, there's cars in it. Yeah. Um, but it is about how to set up a workshop and the business of it. So, you know, if we're talking about how we've done with a car, I'm going to account for the hours it's taken because they cost. Because yeah. I have to pay them. It's ridiculous. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, You're not blinking after. Not, not too, <laughs> not too much, obviously. But, but, um, yeah, I do. So I want to reflect that. So it is about the reality of doing it. So, um, if anybody who's ever set up a car restoration business will love watching my pain and misery. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure there's a few out there. It does hurt. Um, okay, so during the series, we've been running a special theme called One Piece at a Time, where we ask our guests to select one prized automotive possession that means a lot to them so rich can you tell us what your one piece is i see that you didn't uh, bring uh, any. well it was it's difficult you see i did think about this because you did huge? you did tell me no oh, I've, I've still got the crash helmet i was wearing when i crashed at 320 miles an hour and there's a big dent in the side I and th that's is. got that, i keep that but it, it, it makes people squirm a bit when you look at it i've yeah. got so many bits of broken cars <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from my entire life what i i brought a watch with me because yes. I'm, I'm always conscious about I have lucky watches and unlucky watches. And this is a little tag that I wore when I crashed at 320 and it survived. Oh, amazing. Because I also wore, when I got stuck upside down in the Rimac, I was wearing a Rolex, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Hey, yes. Uh, but I got it caught on the seatbelt. Oh. I couldn't get the seatbelt off. And it really, I'm not joking, it was upside down, dangling about, cars on fire, can't get that off. I've got a the watch. It's like a movie, this, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I've got a choice. And I clenched my jaw and it went like that when I said that. Very manly. I've got a choice right now. <laughs> Me or the watch. Uh, and I thought, well, the watch off. So I got it. So it burned for three weeks inside the car. So I have that one. This is slightly embarrassing. I have that one. And it's charred and burned and ruined. And Rimac found it for me. You know Matteo Rimac. Yes, Just the nicest, Lovely. absolutely, and a water tower. I mean, crying because that was the only car. I had, no, there were seven. Then oh, there, there were seven. Th then there were six after, <laughs> after, after I drove it. Um, utterly charming, lovely, very talented man. And him and his team had got the watch out of the charred, ruined remains of his valuable car and had mounted it on a little plinth and sent it to me. Well, and lovely. it said, made by the Swiss in 2000-whatever, destroyed by the British in whatever. <laughs> but... What what's no? It was destroyed. Believe me, <laughs> um, and unfortunately, what what I then did was um, drop the box and snapped the thing that it was mounted on. What is wrong with you? I crashed the box he gave me containing the watch to celebrate the car I crashed to his. Yep. Anybody want to lift home? No. <laughs> no. Okay. Oh my goodness. Thank, well, thank you, you so much. And for the listeners out there, we will, if you wouldn't mind taking a picture of it, we can put it on all our socials. Of course. So can get to see the broken box of the broken I will. I will do that. From yeah. the broken car. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slightly awkward. Um, thank you so much for chatting. Absolute it really pleasure. It's just such a wonderful, I mean, everyone, just the stories, I'm sure you could just entertain us all day. Drone on um, is what you mean. Drone yeah, on. Okay. No, uh, basically, I just want to say thank you so much for being on our podcast. And to everyone that's actually watching, um, have a lovely day. Enjoy the cars. Hopefully the rain won't come. Go and see your escort. Where is it? Over there. It's Over kind there. of the highlight of the show. That's why they put it so yes. far away. About because two miles down there. It'll get your steps up. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, thank you so much, my lovely. It really is just lovely seeing you again and listening to your stories. Thank Absolute you. pleasure, my darling. Thank you for having me on. And thank you all. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy. It's absolutely beautiful out there. Have a lovely one. 
So thanks again to the wonderful Richard Hammond and to our live audience here at the Concourse of Elegance at Hampton Court, as well as those listening to this special episode of the Chubb interview series brought to you by Chubb, who share our passion for classic cars. There'll be another episode very soon. To receive every episode as it's released, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like what you hear, please review and spread the word. And don't forget to email us your stories about your most loved classics. I'm Jodie Kidd. Until next time. Bye. The Chubb Interviews with Jodie Kidd. Brought to you by Chubb Insurance. Expert insurers of your most valued possessions. Established since 1882.